When you're born, you get a ticket to the freak show. When you're born in America, you get a front row seat. So said George Carlin, whilst George Orwell said that the British are not happy unless they are miserable. On this Industry Insight episode of the History of Advertising podcast, we are looking at the differences between the United States and the United Kingdom. Specifically, we'll be looking at how the Americans inspired the golden age of British advertising. Sir Alan Parker is best known as the film director behind classics such as Bugsy Malone, Evita and Midnight Express. But it was working in advertising in the 1960s where his talents first developed. He worked on several award-winning commercials for brands including Birdseye, Benston Hedges and Cinzano, starring Joan Collins and Leonard Rossiter. He recalls how, at the beginning of his career, the UK would frequently look across the pond for inspiration. British advertising, London advertising agencies, and the advertising that had gone before for the last 20 or 30 years hadn't really changed very much. Big agencies like uh, Mather and Crowther, as Ogilvy's was then called, um, uh, S.H. Benson, these places had been going for a long time and they were very stodgy and they were doing very, mostly poor work really, which uh, all you can remember are, you know, it's all uh, illustration, there was no real humour, just silly middle class stuff which was of no interest to anyone. All of our education came from, from, from New York really, I mean, when New Yorker magazine uh, came out, every uh, week we would desperately get a copy of it to see the ads, you know. And we were really influenced by agencies like Dordane Birnbeck, Jack Tinker, Scully McCabe, all the American agencies. And so, when an opportunity arose for Alan to join PKL, a US agency which set up shop in the UK in the 1960s, he jumped at the chance. However, the experience didn't quite live up to his expectation. Well, I joined PKL and it... Um I was very excited because, you know, PKL had a fantastically uh, hot reputation for being, you know, really creative and doing really interesting things. Started by Julian Koenig and, and George Lois, two of the greatest creative people ever in, in the world of advertising. And uh, you just thought it was going to be the same. And they did, like, for about six months or so they did some quite good work and then they sent over this bloke called Joe Sacco who was I don't know where he was from he was from like H.E. Bates or somewhere and he was horrendous he hated creative advertising and uh, uh, I I used to hate it really we used to have like you know meetings until midnight you know where every, all the creative department 20 people in the same room trying to come up with ideas and throwing out ideas and it was dreadful, absolutely awful. It was nothing like the agency that I thought it was going to be. In spite of Alan's negative experience, there's no doubt about the fact that the states were revered for their creative approach during this time. Dave Trott has worked behind many of the best-known ads in recent memory, including Unigate's Ernie the Milkman with Benny Hill and Pepsi's lip-smacking thirst-quenching ad. His first Adland job was as a copywriter with one of the Mad Men ad agencies on New York's Madison Avenue. When he returned to the UK, he was struck by the lack of diversity, both within the ad agencies and in the adverts themselves. When I'd left the UK, everybody had to speak with received pronunciation. Everybody had to change their accent. Everybody had to speak like BBC. And what I loved about the States was nobody listened to your accent. Everybody listened to what you had to say. And I thought, screw it, I'm going to just... I, I love this. And especially in New York, instead of everybody being in Bill Birnbach's advertising, in, in the other advertising, David Ogilvy and all those advertising, everybody would have to be white and middle class and, 
Anglo-Saxon Protestant and crew cut and blonde. In Bill Birnbeck's advertising, everybody was like real people. They were fat and they were Jewish and they were Italian and they were Irish and they were ugly and, and they all had accents. And all the copywriters and art directors in New York, the copywriters were Italian and the art director, sorry, the copywriters were Jewish and the art directors were Italian. And they were really proud of it, really proud of where they came from, and they were proud they weren't wasps. All the wasps were at David Ogilvie's agencies, at Birnbeck's agencies. It was Jewish copywriters, Italian art directors, because they said the Jews got the brains and the Italians got the style. But, and I thought, this is fantastic. If I, when I go back to England, I'm going to be, I'm going to be exactly what I am, which is East London. And I'm not going to try and be BBC received pronunciation. And when I came back here, that's exactly what I did. And it worked in spades because it just made me different. Uh, and it made the advertising I did different. And that's what I learned from New York is find out who you are and be 100% different. The late Judy Lannan was appointed by JWT in 1968. And shortly afterwards, she established its consumer research department. In terms of creativity, she doesn't think the UK was lagging behind that much when compared to the States. For instance, here, she recalls how the UK took a very different approach to commercial television during its ascendancy in the mid-50s. Being English, um, they intuitively felt that it would better make people laugh. There wasn't much funny advertising in America for a long time. Um, the British ignored that dictate absolutely, totally, and there, were, there was humorous advertising, I think, from the start. It developed... Um, quite uh, why what writers and uh, the ad makers knew about this was just you know working from their own culture rather than imitating America. In order to see some of this British humour in action, we're going to take a trip back to 1975 and look at an ad which Alan produced for Parker Pens. I remember the Parker Pen commercial because it um, I shot it at Pinewood Studios and uh, in the dining room of the studios and we made it into this schoolroom in Switzerland it was meant to be but uh, with Penelope Keith. In the ad Penelope plays a curt British schoolmistress at a Swiss finishing school where she instructs her pupils in the art of using a Parker pen to sign a cheque with panache. Well girls, your last day at the Zermatt school for young ladies and your final and most important lesson how to spend daddy's lovely money. Chequebooks open girls, pens at the ready. No, 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 Felicity. You couldn't possibly go shopping in Knightsbridge with one of those. A pen with style, a pen with elan, a Parker lady in white rolled gold. Moths just seem to roll from its tip. Signatures flow with a flourish. Now then, all together, girls. Yes, Celia? Madame, does one spell pence with an S or a C? I don't think you need worry about that, my dear. The Parker Lady in White Roll Gold, £9.95. The English sense of humour, which featured in many ads around this time, may explain the differences between how ads were perceived differently in the UK and the US. Here, Judy explains how her research groups in the UK showed how Brits were more accepting of TV commercials. Americans for years really disliked ads um, because there's so much of them and they're so raucous and they're so intrusive. Whereas in the days that I was doing research here, people did. They were, and the research shows that um, because there was only one channel, or, and ultimately two channels, but to begin with there was only the one, 
um, and because they knew that everybody was watching the ads at the same time, there was a kind of cultural um, acceptance of ads. And even though there was a great deal of sniffy, intellectual, this is terrible, making people buy things they don't want, all sorts of left-wing rubbish about that, people themselves really quite enjoyed them. And if they were particularly like the little mini-series, like the OXO one or the uh, the Gold Blend or the French Renault Papa and Nicole, as well as, I mean, people had their favorites and they could easily talk about it and they could talk about ads and they joined in the conversation about how to make them better and how to clarify them, which was a sense of ease with them that didn't really exist in the same way in the United States. So, even though us Brits were a little slower to the party, UK advertising more than caught up with the Americans. So much so that the commercials produced in the golden age of UK advertising stand out to some of the most memorable campaigns that have been produced anywhere in the world. However, Dave believes that the UK ad industry is in need of a shot in the arm, and that there may still be lessons to learn from America yet. What UK advertising is now is slick, well-executed, pretty, uh, bland, you know. I don't think think you're going to stand up there and pick it out as the finest in the world. I don't think you're going to be quoting it. I don't think people from other countries are going to be looking at it and repeating that as fantastic advertising. If you see any decent ads, uh, uh, occasionally I'll see things, I wish I saw more of them, but occasionally odd little agencies in America, strange places, not network, there'll be strange little local places doing things in America. I happen to see one for uh, Fram oil filters. Now, Fram oil filters... uh, why, why, why would they even register? And what they had done, I think it only runs in California, and what they had registered was, uh, was that uh, where most kids, most people who work on their cars are youngsters over there, people under 30, probably under 25. They work on their cars, they've got hot rods, they're redoing and fixing them. And so they've got the ads that you're doing everything to make your car hot and go fast and look for... And then you buy a cheap oil filter. And they've got this guy that's an old guy, but he's like an old thug, an old scary thug, like your granddad. Like, uh, and they've, they've picked an old scary thug from Breaking Bad. Can I help you? No, but I can help you. You spend all kinds of money to blast music louder than you can think, but you can't pony up for a quality oil filter? Your engine will thank me. Then you get back to your robot music. They're not robots, they're Swedish. Fram, filter out the nonsense. It's the orange one, numb nuts. And I just love that as a strap line, it's the orange one, numb nuts. And tell me you're not going to remember that and that's not going to go viral amongst everyone who does their own cars. I'm not even in the country and I remember it. I don't even work on cars and I remember it. That's, that's a great line. This Industry Inside episode of the History of Advertising podcast was presented by Jack Maggot Phillips and featured contributions from Sir Alan Parker, Judy Lannan and Dave Trott. The programme was produced by Jane Jarvis and Jack Maggot Phillips. To find out more about the adverts featured on this programme, please go to hatads.org.uk.